when I first joined United, my focus really was going back to those brand fundamentals, having a team with our strategy agency define what is our brand positioning and how does it align with the master brand positioning and then cleaning up the architecture. You're listening to Sunny Side Up, a B2B podcast that brings you the juiciest insights from go-to-market leaders and practitioners. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Sunny Side Up podcast. I am super excited to be here today. My name is Kelly Hopping. I'm the CMO at Demandbase, and I will be your host today. Today, we'll be talking to Jan Gasparian Lee on navigating the marketing spectrum in a digital age. Jane is the Managing Director of B2B Marketing at United Airlines. Uh, in this role, she leads the United for Business Marketing Strategy and B2B Product Development. But prior to joining United, Jane worked for 10 years, over 10 years, in the consumer packaged goods industry at PepsiCo. Most recently, she led the product innovation team at Quaker Foods, developed a robust innovation pipeline to drive category growth. During her time at PepsiCo, she also launched a healthy snacks portfolio for the Chinese market. Jane is a passionate, customer-focused marketer with experience across a wide variety of marketing functions including digital, e-commerce marketing, product innovation, B2B demand generation. She earned an MBA from Northwestern Kellogg School of Management and currently resides with her family in Chicago. Welcome to the show, Jane. Thank you so much, Kelly. I'm thrilled to be here. Well, good. Well, I think we're going to have a lot to talk about today. There are so many folks in our industry who have uh, made that pivot from B2C to B2B. I'm one of them. You are one of them. So I love the the thought of seeing your journey and understanding how that works. So we're going to dive into that almost entirely today to really talk about how your time in B2C has influenced your leadership as part of B2B. So that's kind of really my first question. Given that non-traditional journey from B2C to B2B, how has that influenced your approach to the B2B market, your marketing principles, how you've successfully integrated some of those learnings into your B2B practice? Tell us about that. Yeah, happy to. And of course, it had a huge influence because I really grew up as a marketer at PepsiCo as a B2C marketer and everything I learned there has absolutely influenced how I approach the business now. And as I think back, I think there's really one quote that I've used in my current job that I think influenced how I approach it. And it's funny, I mentioned this quote and I always say unknown because I can't remember where I heard it or who said it, but essentially the only sustainable competitive advantage is your brand. That's the only source of sustainable competitive advantage. So as a marketer from PepsiCo, I understand the value of the brand and the importance of building the equity into that brand to make that connection and build that brand love with your customers. And that might not be something that people think about inherently in B2B, I think it applies in B2B just as much as it does in, in B2C. So when I first joined United, my focus really was going back to those brand fundamentals, having a team with our strategy agency define what is our brand positioning and how does it align with the master brand positioning? What equities are we borrowing from the master brand or what new equities do we need to create on our own? What does the visual identity look like for this brand? How does it you know, properly deliver on the positioning that we want to have in the marketplace? And then cleaning up the architecture, right? I think I came into a role uh, that you know didn't have a marketer previously. So what I was finding is 
complete confusion and proliferation of brands and names for things that really did not need to be named. You know, and it started with fundamentals of explaining to my team and my leadership within the sales organization there, what is a brand <laughs> and what are some reasons when you shouldn't introduce a new brand every time you're, you know, coming up with a new initiatives and really led the charge and eliminating almost every single sub-brand and product name that we had in the portfolio and leaning into the United for Business sub-brand as that, that branded house, so to speak, and ensuring that we're building the equity into that brand and focusing specifically on that mark. I would say that was probably the key way that I initially approached the role that's continuing to pay dividends now. Yeah, it's so interesting. I made this a similar move from Kraft Foods over to Dell and AMD and places in the tech space and in the B2B tech space. And I remember the definition even of brand management was completely different. Like I was, you know, people would think, oh, you did brand management craft, come do that at at AMD. And all of a sudden I was managing like a logo mark and the color palette. And I was like, this is not brand management that I did at craft. It was like, I was the, the P&L owner when I was in CPG and all of a sudden it was very different. So then that's probably when you think about, okay, this is, it's not just about a mark. It's really about the overall brand strategy or go to market strategy. So tell me about how that part transitioned from B to C to B to B and how did, how'd you think about that full end to end marketing strategy um, differently or the same, which parts resonated? Yeah, you're, you're so right. It, it was very eye-opening moving from a CPG environment at PepsiCo over to United because I realized that people's perception of what marketing does can be so different. And it was so eye-opening. And I always share this example. My first couple of days, I would start to get things like, hey, your team needs to send this email to our customer or your team needs to make this slide. And I was just flabbergasted because my <laughs> answer would be why as part of what campaign, what are the objectives that you're trying to accomplish with this single email share a problem with me and we'll build a 360 plan. You know, don't ask me to send this email. And the people were kind of flabbergasted back, (laughs) questioning things and pushing back and, you know, not just, you know, putting together an email or uh, a flyer as requested. So you're totally right. My approach to this role goes way beyond what I just shared in terms of establishing those brand fundamentals. That's really the core, feeding that through the entire customer journey to ultimately deliver on an objective. And another thing I you know, took away from the CPG world is, you know, we completely flipped how we worked with the sales team is we essentially set our goals to align with the sales goals. So if, you know, we are focused on 180 new acquisitions as a sales team, that was my team's goal. My team's goal wasn't to send out three emails or, you know, build out five campaigns. It was to enable the sales team to accomplish that goal of 180 accounts. So, you know, kind of starts with the brand strategy, but ends all the way at accomplishing a specific measurable business objective. Hopefully that answers your question. I'm happy to dig into any of the specifics, but it, you know, it's as simple as okay, well, here's our business objective. What's the marketing objective? And what are the specific tactics and strategies that will help us accomplish both 
that ladder up to that business objective, right? So it's just following those fundamentals and flipping the conversation from a tactic to a business outcome that we're trying to achieve. And it was, it still is an educational conversation I'm having to have of helping the sales team think of my team's capabilities differently. Yeah, I think that's, that's, we talk a lot about like, how do we as marketers make sales love us? And it's not just sending three emails. It's having a collective integrated strategy that is setting them up for success when they get those, those opportunities that come through. But I love what you said about like three emails, because it's, we call those vanity metrics. Sometimes these arbitrary things that marketers measure that mean nothing to revenue. Like if we're not, if me and my, my counterpart on the sales side don't share the same end revenue goal, then everything we're doing is just talking to ourselves, right? We don't have sort of the, the benefit of just getting to do the clean marketing metrics while they go do the revenue metrics. Like we're all in this together, right? Exactly. And we've gotten to a point, we now have a shared dashboard between our marketing and sales team. So okay. we'll look at the exact, same exact dashboard, how we drive alignment and where we need to focus. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about digital. So I don't know about you. When I was in CPG, I remember now I'm showing my age. It was the early, like, or mid 2000s, 2005, 6, 7, 8. They would come pitch me on digital marketing. Oh, we should build a website and we should run paid media. You should do web ads. And I was like, what a waste of money. Like, no one's shopping online. It's not so funny. Who's going to buy cookies online or who's going to be influenced about, you know, whatever consumer good online? No, no, no. We're going to stick with our print and our TV and our radio or whatever it is that we were running. Obviously, the world is very different today. B2B runs almost entirely digital, it feels like, other than events and that kind of thing. But tell me about how the influence of what you think sort of your experience in B2C digital, how does that translate influence make better Worse, the world of B2B digital. How has that carried over? I mean, ultimately, all of us are online all the time and having digital experiences as as people, right? So regardless if it's a B2C or a B2B interaction, you have a certain expectation for that to go smoothly. Have a certain expectation for whatever website you're on, if you're a repeat customer, to know who you are and to enable you to make that repeat purchase more easily. So I think the expectations for a B2B digital experience are entirely influenced by the myriads of B2C experiences that we have. And that's how we approach things at United in the B2B space. We recently launched a new self-serve portal for SME customers and that was built with UX designers that also work on united.com. It was built off of insights and learnings from our B2C business. Because as you can imagine, we have millions and millions of transactions that happen on united.com every single day. So why wouldn't we leverage learnings and insights from what we see there to enable a really fantastic digital experience in a B2B space? And I'm trying to find a stat that I have here from Forrester, I think there's also maybe a misconception in the buyer's desire to transact and purchase fully digitally in the B2B space. And the yeah. pandemic has changed that as well. People are just so much more comfortable transacting in the in B2B transactions, not even small transactions. I, I found the stat here. So 70% 
um, buyers surveyed by in a Forrester study said that they will buy new items in excess of $50,000 fully online and t- even wow. 20% a quarter were willing to buy something in excess of 500000 fully online. So there's just much more of a willingness and sometimes even desire to transact digitally And as a B2B business, we are adapting to that and creating those opportunities to not have to talk to a salesperson to fully self-serve and sign up for a small business program online. I love that. I think that's when I think about business travel, as much as I can automate, as seamless as I can do without having to ever talk to a human really and work through the process, the better from that regard. Now, you brought up something about the pandemic. So I do want to ask you about that. Like my curiosity about this. So you've been with United Airlines since before the COVID-19 pandemic. So, and obviously during that time, travel came to a halt affecting both consumers and businesses who are traveling. So how did you manage through that? How did you balance those challenges of a really stressful market, stressed out audience, I'm sure, a recession that was sort of looming in the market while still crafting an experience that feels consumer oriented, serves business needs, like, how did that change? What was what was going on? Like, wh- how did y'all sit down and stop and approach that? To paint a picture, I joined United November 25th, 2019, right before the pandemic. So obviously not a whole lot happened that year as I was getting up to speed. February is when we started to see some pretty concerning signs that things were you know, not going to go well for the airline industry. So I was really, really new to the airline when it all went down. And on top of that, at the time, I had a a four-year-old and a seven-year-old that I was now parenting with a husband who was also working from home. So it was was a pretty wild time. And I've never in my career had to have this experience where literally you just take every single thing that you do and stop doing it, literally, (laughs) because the budget went to zero. The budget completely went away. I mean, we were in survival mode. If I don't want to misquote this, but I want to say that we were losing a hundred million dollars a day or something crazy because it's very expensive to maintain an airline when you're not actually generating any money. And in fact, we were refunding people for flights that had purchased that they were no longer going to be taking. So everything just completely stopped. And we had to just sit there and really think about what can we do? What do our customers need from us now? How can we support this community in a space where obviously it did not feel responsible to necessarily encourage people to travel? And we just really had to figure out what was appropriate and really listen to what we're hearing from our customers. One of the interesting examples too is around the desire for content and cleanliness and how Mm -hmm. that shifted. There was a moment in the pandemic where, you know, we kind of knew something was going on, but people were still traveling. There's just no one really knew what was happening, but we were starting to get a ton of questions. Well, how do you clean the airplane? What are some of the safety protocols? So we scrambled to pull that content together based on what was available. Then after just a couple of weeks of that, things really shut down. And then even that content was no longer relevant because people just weren't flying at all. So we really had to stop that. And then as people were slowly starting to return, though that content became relevant again. And the other sort of interesting fact is like, think about all of the imagery 
And we were the first airline to require masks on board. It was really important to us. So we had to completely reshoot our entire catalog of content with people wearing masks. And then once the mask requirement was lifted, we had to redo all of those shoots and update everything to people that are not wearing masks. So it, it, it was just a wild time. But I think some of the lessons, again, is, again, the impact that your messaging can have in this space of the global pandemic. Yeah. Wow. Those are great lessons, I think, in general. So obviously you had the extreme situation of the pandemic, but just the reality of like, sometimes that playbook just have to, has to be scrapped. I mean, right now we're in the middle of a recession on certainly on the tech side and across the board. And I think we're doing a lot of that. Like, what are these things that we've always done that have been successful that maybe need to get scrapped this year? Maybe these are not the things we need to be doing now. Um, or maybe we need to pivot. Maybe we need to be flexible on reshooting our photography. Maybe this is a time to build some fundamentals. Two more questions. One, I'd love to know about data. So we all like to use data to, you know, predict, you know, where our customers are going to measure our impact, to manage and understand our attribution. So how is that different? Or is it between what you were looking at on a daily basis in the consumer world versus what you look like on a daily basis look for on the business side? Well, the cool thing about moving to United versus CPG is it's our data that customers give us directly. So as you probably remember in your craft experience, you had to rely on a point of sale data mm-hmm. that you were getting from third parties. And it was really the retailer that owned the data. In our case, our data that comes directly to us from customers. And the other beauty of it is that they kind of have to give us a lot of it in order to get on our planes. <laughs> and that's really interesting. We were just recently having a conversation with our new CEO of Mileage Plus and he's a big data guy, and he was so thrilled to learn that the quality of our data is better than most because we have this connection as airlines with the TSA that Mm -hmm. our date of birth data has to be confirmed by the TSA. There's sort of a bilateral link of some sort. So we have really great data that's actually verified, um, which gives us a huge, huge advantage. But where things are not different (laughs) is that data in and of itself doesn't give you much, right? You need really strong data scientists, people that are able to manipulate it and build the right models and algorithms to draw insight from it. And we are continuing on that journey, just like everyone else. We're definitely investing in data scientists to help us with that capability, but there's still a lot of gaps that exist in in full transparency. I'll just share a couple of gaps that we're working to address. Number one, our B2B and B2C data are not connected. (laughs) Our B2B CRM, the unique identifier is not linked to any of the B2C data sets. So we don't often know if the travel manager that manages a, a corporate travel program, you know, with a, with a particular customer, what they're experiencing as an individual traveler mm-hmm. in our B2C databases. So there's a huge opportunity to link the two. And the other problem that we're trying to also solve as a company is our primary unique identifier is the mileage plus number for people that are actually members of our loyalty program. But if you fly on us and you're not a loyalty member, we just know you as an individual 
travel transaction. We don't have a full profile on you over time. It's really just that booking that gets recorded. So there's a huge effort to create a unique identifier for people that are not members so we can better understand them and their behavior over time. So the short answer is that we have a lot of really good data. And unfortunately, we're still working on figuring out how to make it work for us, just like most organizations, I think. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, I guess you do have a vested interest in getting people to be you know, mileage plus members or whatever, because it allows, because it again, allows you to be able to track, like that's when your data becomes valuable is when you have that. And then you can actually get the best insights that you need to go then market differently or, or make changes to the experience or whatever based on that. Exactly. And what also helps them have a better experience also as they are able to obviously earn miles to, to improve their travel experience. We've done a lot of work to make just being a normal member valuable, meaning if you only have a thousand miles in your bank, maybe you're not a platinum premier member, but hey, that a thousand miles actually buys you free Wi-Fi on a flight, or maybe it buys you a drink. We've tried to make the mile utility work even Mm -hmm. at the lower levels of membership. So there's a lot of benefits to being a Mileage Plus member. It's a a plug. Even if you fly once a year, why not? Sign (laughs) up. (laughs) Absolutely. I love that. That's great. I never thought to be able to use my miles for things other than booking a trip. I'm like, oh, I'm still 20,000 miles away. I'll just keep plugging along. But that's, uh, that's great to know you can use them in other ways. Awesome. Okay, last one. Fun question. What do you like to read? So is there a book, blog, newsletter, video, podcast, something that you watch on a daily basis or listen to on a daily basis or read regularly to kind of stay in the know? I know. I, I get this. This question is often asked. I'm always embarrassed by my answer because the way that I I read and listen to things as a way to disconnect and entertain. So my examples aren't particularly hard-hitting or business-focused, but a couple that I'm happy to share. So the daily podcast, I think it's a popular Mm -hmm. one. I absolutely love it. It's just a great way to connect to what's going on and hear stories directly from some of the people experiencing them. So I love that podcast. The other thing that I've been doing for any parents out there that might be interested in this tip, I'm actually rereading some of the books I read years ago with my daughter. So Mm. she's really into um, Harry Potter and then the Hunger Games. And now she just went through the entire uh, Divergent series. I've just been kind of shadow reading with her. So we have something to talk about and something to discuss. And then I'm able to like help her through it, you know, and she realized that there was a very tragic end to one of the books she was reading and she cried for an hour. I was able to really talk through it. So I think that's a, if for any parents out there, that's, that's a recommendation that I would make in a book that I currently have on my nightstand um, that I is overdue for me to return to the library. (laughs) Uh, But I got a great recommendation today. I have not yet read it, but I'm really excited to read it. It's called getting more, how to negotiate to achieve your goals in the real world. And it's supposed to supposedly give you tips that also help even negotiate with your kids and in your job and just in your life in general. And I love that idea. So I'm excited to dig into that. It comes highly recommended. So haven't read it yet, but I think it's going to be great. 
I think you sell yourself short because I don't think that's fully disconnecting. That sounds like more businessy kind of stuff. But I, but I'll definitely have to check that one out. And I have a daughter too who's probably right at that age. How old is your daughter? She's ten. Okay, I have an eleven-year-old that's right at that age. We read the first two Harry Potters, I think, and then we haven't read the rest. And I probably should. I love the idea. Of, I read them all already, but to shadow read those again with her, I think that's a great idea. I'm going to take that tip for sure. Yeah. And I do the same. I disconnect completely when I listen. If it says anything at all, I am I'm reading Britney Spears, the woman in me right now. So there you go on uh, good professional business and love it. <laughs> Do you recommend it? <laughs> I do. So, you know, she's one of those people that's been sort of like, like her story has been told for her, right? Mm-hmm. She rarely is talking to the media. Like they, everybody is sort of guessing about what's going on. So I just appreciate hearing straight out of her mouth, like what she was thinking during all these times and hearing her stories. I think it's pretty fascinating. I'm hoping that by the end of it, I will have a newfound respect for her. Well, that's great. I'll have to put that on my list as well. There you go. But I do love The Daily. It's a great podcast. Awesome. Okay. Well, last question. How can people get in touch with you if this resonated with you and they want to connect? LinkedIn is probably the easiest way. Just look me up at Jane Gasparian Lead. Maybe if you want to drop a line in the message that it's from the podcast, I'd love to connect. I always love to bounce ideas off of people that are in the industry. So definitely would appreciate anyone reaching out. Awesome. Well, cool. Well, we will look for you on LinkedIn. Thank you for that. Thank you so much for your time today. We've really enjoyed it. I know the listeners have too. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Today's episode is made possible by Demandbase. Demandbase is smarter GTM for B2B brands to help marketing and sales teams spot the juiciest opportunities earlier and progress them faster. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Sunnyside Up. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us and subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you consume podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube and Demand Based TV.